Well, good morning. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Singing Patriots. We appreciate you being here today. Well, welcome to our Global Outreach Sunday. We're delighted that each of you are able to be with us this morning. If you're visiting with us, we have no expectations of you today as far as our Global Outreach goes, but let me just set the stage for you. Our, uh, the way that First Baptist Church supports its missionary program is through Faith Promise Program. In your bulletin today, there is a little card which we have asked you to be praying about, what God would have you to give. It simply is a promise. It is not a pledge. You notice there's no place on it to put your name. No way that the church is ever going to contact you to make sure that you are keeping up with your faith promise pledge. This is entirely between you and God. But this is the way that the church sets its budget, mission budget for the year. We'll be asking you to fill this out and place, we'll have an opportunity at the end of the service for you to bring that forward. Um, this, of course, the faith promise is above and beyond your mission, uh, beyond your tithe. And, uh, you know, if you got $3, take two out of one pocket and put it in the other, you still got $3. You have to increase your giving. So I'm going to challenge you on a couple of things this morning. First of all, I want to challenge you to recognize that you've been blessed. You live in America, you've been blessed. You have more than most of the rest of the world has. We have more resources than uh, most of the rest of the world. And if you have been blessed, then you are going to also be held accountable for being blessed. And so I, I want to challenge you in the fact that you recognize that we are indeed blessed. I want to also thank you for being faithful. When we began Faith Promise Missions uh, back in about 1990, uh, I didn't know anything about Faith Promise. And pastors were telling me, well, when you take your Faith Promise Pledge, you can expect to get 75 to 80% of what's promised. I thought to myself, well, that's not very good. And so I've always encouraged you by this. I don't know if I encourage you or discourage you, but uh, I've always said don't promise what you don't intend to give. I really don't care if we have a promise of $400,000 if we don't get $400,000. And you've been faithful. And for that, I want to thank you. We're right on track to, to reach our goal for the year. And so that's because of your faithfulness. And I, I appreciate that so much. And a time of economic downturn and uh, many have excuses of why they could say I can't give, uh, you have given and so I want to recognize your faithfulness and thank you for that but I also want to call you this morning to greater faithfulness uh, the simple economics are if we're going to support more missionaries we have to have greater resources every year more people are born into this world, every year more people go into a Christless eternity because they have not heard the gospel. It's our job to see that they hear the gospel, to do our part here in Valonia and around the world. So I want to call you to greater faithfulness. Some of you are new to our congregation. You have never been a part of our Faith Promise program. I want to encourage you to give something. Everybody can give something to Faith Promise missions. Maybe it is that, that God would ask you to increase your giving. And so I want you to be praying about what God would get, have you to give. Thank you so much for being here, and I appreciate your faithfulness. 
This morning, our keynote speaker is Dr. Richard Lewis. Richard uh, and his wife served uh, as missionaries, church planning missionaries in Kenya for 14 years. And then he served as the vice president for intercultural training for United World Missions. They also lived in India for four years. Uh, I believe it was during that time in about 1992 that uh, Richard was here with us helped us get our Faith Promise program up off of the ground, and we're grateful for his contribution. In 2003, he started his own ministry outreach called Lewis Cost Cultural Training. It, it teaches national missionaries in, a, in how to plant churches in a cross-cultural method, doing a great job, travels around the world, just got back from India, uh, be leaving for Africa, and going again to Africa and to India to teach uh, does a wonderful job with that. Be in prayer for Brother Richard. He lost his mother this week, and uh, I know that's a burden on his heart. But you, uh, you be in prayer for him. Would you welcome him to the pulpit this morning? Brother Richard, you come. Thank you, sir. I invite you to... Um, Take your Bibles and uh, turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> it's always a bit of a challenge for me to um, <clears throat> speak um, in a 30-minute service. Um, I usually teach four hours a day, uh, five uh, days a week, and... Uh, but don't get nervous. Um, I promise uh, you'll get home in time. But I'm delighted to, to be a part of your service today, and I trust God will bless it. Luke chapter 3, and uh, I want to begin reading um, in verse number 4. Luke chapter 3, verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled and every mountain made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. You know, everybody, uh, when you uh, take a job, take a position, um, one of the things that is required is that uh, you have a job description. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about a job description that uh, we've just read about that uh, is uh, not only the job description of a man by the name of John the Baptist, but it's also the job description of uh, each missionary. Uh, each pastor, and uh, every follower of Jesus Christ. It's the story of uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as you know, uh, some of you uh, studied the scriptures, you know that John the Baptist, his role, his responsibility was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And uh, in Isaiah, repeated here in Luke chapter 3, we have the passage of Scripture that uh, tells us 
exactly what John was supposed to do. John was to make the way plain, make the way smooth, prepare the hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. And it's a a very interesting thought and concept of our responsibility is very much like John the Baptist, to make the way plain, to make the way smooth. Now, of course, you know that uh, in the days of John the Baptist, they didn't have super highways, and therefore, uh, when, um, whenever the king or uh, officials would travel uh, down the, the, the road, uh, there, had to, um, uh, there had to be someone that was uh, willing to go out and make the road smooth, make it plain, make it easy. And uh, so when this prophecy was given, certainly the people of that day understood the concept of making the rough way smooth. And um, that was the job. When I lived in Kenya, um, we lived there for 14 years, and uh, uh, my kids, uh, they grew up uh, in uh, boarding school. And uh, so uh, uh, they lived about uh, 400 kilometers from where uh, my wife and I uh, lived. And uh, so um, every three or four weeks, my wife and I, we would travel down to uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, we would visit our our children, and uh, I, uh, I often remember the times when we would uh, travel down to Nairobi. Every once in a while, not very often, but every once in a while, uh, we would come across uh, the presidential motorcade. Um, we lived in the uh, northwest part of Kenya, and uh, because of political reasons, the president didn't often come to our, uh, our part of, of Africa. Uh, but we were always delighted when he came, because that's the only time they would fix the roads. Up till then, it was okay for the rest of us to bounce about, uh, but uh, when the president came, uh, they would always send out the municipal workers, and they would fill up the potholes and, um, and uh, fix the roads up for them. And every once in a while, when we were traveling down to Nairobi, uh, we would uh, meet uh, the motorcade. And uh, I, uh, you know, they'd have these motorcycles and these blue lights flashing and, and uh, <clears throat> they were telling everybody, get off the side of the road, get off the road, get off the road. And uh, <clears throat> so we did. And we just, uh, just got off the side of the road. Then before too long, we saw these big black uh, limousines and they'd have their lights flashing and, and uh, <clears throat> the blue lights going and, and, uh, and we were just... Uh, Get off the road. And before long, uh, President Jomo Kenyatta, uh, he would come by, and of course we'd be on the side of the road, we'd be waving, and he'd wave back, and I think he was waving back, I'm not really sure, but nevertheless. <clears throat> but uh, I, I've often thought, what, what, what was the job of those, uh, what were the job of those uh, policemen and those government officials? Well, their job was um, to make the way smooth to make the way easy so that when uh, the president, Jomo Kenyatta, came uh, down the highway, he wouldn't be stopping in a a traffic jam. Uh, He'd be able to go easily on his journey. Well, the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was John the Baptist's job. There were a lot of people who thought maybe John was the the promised Messiah. John said, no, uh, that's not my job. 
Uh, I'm not worthy to even unlatch the sandals from the one that is to come. Uh, I'm just here to tell you, to prepare your heart, that the Messiah is coming. You know, that's our job. That's your job. Our job is uh, not to provide salvation. The fact of the matter is we cannot provide salvation. Our job and our only job is to prepare the way for the hearts of the people so that when they do hear about Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would uh, impact their heart and their mind and that they would become followers of Jesus Christ. Make the way plain. Make the way smooth. One of the things that I do as I travel throughout the world is talk to missionaries, mostly national missionaries, about how do you make the way smooth? How do you make the way plain for other people to hear about Jesus Christ? And I have, uh, of course, you know, teaching uh, as long as I do, I have um, several things that uh, I would suggest, but because of time limitation, I'm just going to briefly uh, share with you today. And I apologize, I'm going to take a minute because my mouth is dry, okay? One of the ways that I think that uh, we can make the way plain is this, and that is not be an obstacle. Not be an obstacle. I'm often amazed how that your testimony and my testimony is so powerful in this whole issue of reaching other people for Jesus Christ. The best way to make the way smooth, to make the way plain, is just not be an obstacle. To have a good testimony. When I was living in India, um, we had a uh, we had a our landlord and a landlady. They lived below us uh, in, in the apartment, and uh, their names was Mr. and Mrs. Jingen. Mr. Jingen was a cultural Hindu. And I don't know how much you know about Hinduism, but uh, Hindus believe there are three hundred million gods, and. Um, Mr. Jingen was not an orthodox uh, Hindu. He did not pray. He did not do his puja every morning like Mrs. Jingen did. But Mr. Jingen would often talk to me about the things of God. And I would go down when I remember when we first moved into uh, his apartment. Uh, He said to me, he said, Richard, he said, I know you travel a lot. uh, But he said, I'd like for you to come by and just visit with me for 10 or 15 minutes every day that you're in town. Anytime that you're home, I'd like for you to spend 10 or 15 minutes. Well, Mr. Jing was about 87 years of age, and and it was never just 10 minutes long. It was usually half an hour to an hour, hour and a half. But uh, I would sit down and I would visit with Mr. Jing, and I would just talk to him about God. And he always asked me about my faith as a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I remember one time he said to me, he said, Richard, he said... Um, uh, he said, I have, a, I have a bit of a problem. He said, our servant girl, the girl that works for her, uh, works for us, her name is Pushpa. And uh, she says she's a follower of Jesus Christ. She says she's a Christian. And I don't know, Richard, I, I, I look at her life and I know that she does a lot of things that even he, we Hindus uh, kind of frown upon. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is, 
Is that acceptable for a Christian to live? And I thought to myself, you know, it's tough enough to try to get a Hindu to understand that Jesus is not just one of many gods. It's difficult to contextualize the message and try to tell them about Jesus Christ. But not only did I have that obstacle, but I also had the obstacle of someone who said they were a follower of Jesus Christ. Make the way plain. Make the way smooth. You can do it by just living a life that says I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. I started many years ago as a pastor in Del Rio, Texas. Anyone know where Del Rio, Texas is? Okay. I uh, pastor of a little church down there, and we had a guy that worked on Laughlin Air Force Base. He was a good guy, and he was a faithful member, but he was kind of an ornery guy. And, and uh, <clears throat> they used to tell about, uh, his name was Riley, and I, uh, he was a member of our church, and uh, they used to say that he used to get mad when he was at Laughlin Air Force Base, some of the guys he worked with, and he'd pick up tools and throw tools at uh, the guys that he worked with. And, and uh, I thought to myself, man, I hope he doesn't tell him <clears throat> where he goes to church. I'm, I'm convinced in my, my soul. I, I met uh, this uh, guy here, uh, World War II vet, uh, uh, about fourth row here, and same age as my dad. And uh, my dad was a POW in, in Germany. And my dad, my dad never was a preacher. My dad never was a Bible scholar. But my dad had a testimony. And I always, I always appreciated the fact that more than anything else about my mom and dad was the fact that everybody knew that they were followers of Christ. Make the way easy. Make the way smooth. Make the way plain. I don't do anything else in my life. I'm hoping that at the end of my journey, they'll be able to say, you know, at least it wasn't an obstacle. It wasn't a hindrance. How do you make the way plain? How do you make the way easy? How do you make it where the people can know that Jesus Christ truly is the Lord God of heaven? Well... Um, certainly our testimony is helpful. And when we do have an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus Christ, I always talk about how that we need to contextualize the message and that the message that we present to other people should be in a way that they understand. The way that they understand. As I train missionaries and I talk to missionaries about presenting the gospel of Christ, I'm all the time saying, make it understandable whether it's an animistic person or whether it's a Hindu or a Buddhist or whether it's someone that lives in Arkansas. Make the way plain. Make it simple. Make it where they would understand it. I remember when I was pastoring in Texas, I I met a guy one time out on visitation. Back in those days, you could actually go to door to door and and, uh, do visitation. And I remember one time I... I was talking with a guy, and I said, listen, man, have you ever been saved? And he looked at me, and he said, yeah. He said, uh, when my, me and my brother were about 14 years of age, we were in the pond, and uh, we were swimming. And he said, uh, I started going down, and he said, my brother jumped in, 
and he saved me. And I thought to myself, well, you know, we have, our, we have the same terminology, but it doesn't have the same meaning. Make the way plain. Make the way easy. Make the way simple. When I talk to Mr. Jenkins, I say, Mr. Jenkins, have you ever been born again? Mr. Bo- Mr. Jenkins could say, well, <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, I was, they, they believe in 12,000 reincarnations. And uh, he could say, you know, Richard, I was born before I came to this life, and I will be born uh, into my next life. And uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I could. I, I guess I have been born again. <clears throat> I tell my students a lot of times, and I was in uh, India last week, and I had an opportunity to, to visit with some of those that were speaking and those that were giving the message of Jesus Christ to in their churches, and I said, listen, more than anything else, when people walk outside, after they leave your service, they need to know what it's about. And I'm afraid so many times that when we talk to our friends and our neighbors, whether it's on the job or whether uh, it's our, uh, in our community or even our church, I wonder sometimes when they leave, when we depart from them, have they really understood the message of Jesus Christ? Make the way easy. Make the way smooth. Telling people about Jesus Christ. Sharing your heart. I listened to these kids as they were giving their testimony. And, I, and then this brother that uh, going to Madagascar. And I thought to myself, you know, those are the type of messages that we need to hear. Make it easy. Make it simple. We do not have to be theologically astute to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Just share how he, how, how he came into your life and What a change he's made since you accepted Christ as your Savior. John the Baptist, what was your job? My job was to make the way smooth, make the way easy. We're in a missions conference, and as uh, Brother Hamby had mentioned, and I thought it was interesting how that, uh, you know, the world continues to grow, the population continues to grow, and as he stated, uh, people are every year being born and going into a crisis of eternity. And it doesn't seem like we're, we're, staying, we're staying up. We're keeping pace. I'm grateful for the fact that uh, I've been working in India since 1992. And God has indeed done some wonderful things in India. And the, the church is growing. But statistically, they'll see, say that in 10 years from now, statistically, there'll be fewer percentage of Christians in uh, India 20 year, 10 years from now than they are today. And one of the challenges of missions, one of the challenges of you as a church is the fact that you come to a missions conference like this and you say, well, what is, what is my role? What's my responsibility? And I... And I uh, and I understand the fact that not all of us can go to the mission field, although I do pray that maybe some of you will surrender. But I know that we can all have a part when it comes to the resources, when it comes to the finances. I was teaching in Seattle a few years back, and I was um, before about uh, 50 young professionals, second career people engineers, people that were, had different professions. 
And they were all interested in missions. And I asked them the question. I said, what is the number one thing that keeps you from being a missionary, to following that call, that, that burden that you feel that you have or within your own heart? And the number one reason that they said that they did not want to be a missionary was they didn't want to have to go out and raise support. Well, it's not a perfect system. And I understand their hesitation. But as I travel in different parts of this country and different parts of the world, I'm all the time meeting with missionaries who are saying, I want to get to the field. God's called me to go to the field. But I've got to raise support. I have a daughter who is in Senegal, West Africa right now. And... uh, I meet missionaries all the time. Some of them say it takes two to three years just to raise their support. How does the First Baptist Church of Valonia, Arkansas, how do you make it easy? How do you make it simple? How do you make it where other people can hear about Jesus Christ? Well, part of it is your resources. When I was in a missions conference several years ago, actually, when I was still a missionary in Kenya, I remember we had a men's breakfast one time and a guy got up and they were giving testimonies on why they gave to missions. And one guy got up and he said, he said, I'll tell you why I give to missions. He said, I, I give to missions. I give so I can send Brother Lewis. He said, I send. He said, I give so I don't have to go. I give so I don't have to go. So I got up to speak soon after that, and I said, you know, that is a really a cool deal. You give so you don't have to go. So if I go, I don't have to give. Well, obviously that theology doesn't fly, does it? Our responsibility, no matter who you are, is to be a part of that great commission. And in a few minutes, Brother Hamby's going to come, we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about what is your part. I heard someone say not too long ago that, you know, we live in, the, in a day where people just don't, you know, they want to be personally involved. They don't want to, they don't want to just write a check. They want to go on short terms. They want to be on hands. They want to do things. They want to be involved. The millennials don't care anything about just writing a check. They want to be involved. And I heard a guy say the other day, and I have to agree with him, he said, you know, the most important thing I ever do is when I write a check. He said, whether you're talking about my family or whether you're talking about a cause or whether it's talking about taking the gospel to people that have never heard, he said, I'll never be, I'll never be able to go to those places. The most important thing I could ever do is to share what God and so abundantly blessed me with.
We live in a, in a world that, as you are very much aware, as you read your newspapers on the Internet, we live in a tough world. I am so grateful for those who go to Madagascar, Ethiopia, Burkina Faso, Senegal, and I'm so grateful for people like you who pray and give. John the Baptist was on the, by the River Jordan and he looked up and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Make the way plain. Make the way easy. Be a good testimony. Go and give.